an RAF Nimrod conducts an air test after maintenance. A fire breaks out, rapidly becoming out of control, and the crew end up ditching in the water. What happened, and what can we learn about difficult decision-making? Come on board as we discover the human factor. Hello and welcome to this special edition podcast in my series, The Human Factor, where we discuss aviation incidents and accidents, delving into what happened and seeing what we can take away, not just for aviation, but to other industries and into the rest of our lives as well. Today we look at X-Ray Whiskey 666, a Royal Air Force Hawker Siddeley Nimrod R1, which ditched in the Moray Firth in 1995. The aircraft had been based at RAF Waddington, so full of all manner of secret things, but required some servicing. There was no deep servicing available at Waddington, so it had to be sent to RAF Kinloss in Scotland for the service. It was a SIGINT uh, Nimrod rather than the Maritime Reconnaissance. Lots of commonality in terms of the equipment that was on board, but there were a few differences. So the aircraft had been in for a service and was due to come back, but due to a few of those differences the maritime reconnaissance crews weren't allowed to fly the R aircraft, so they sent a crew up from RAF Waddington. The aircraft was one that was flown by 51 Squadron of the Air Force. This was formed as a squadron of the Royal Flying Corps in 1916, before the RAF was established two years later. Through various aircraft that it flew, it ended up operating mostly Handley Page Halifaxes during World War II as part of Bomber Command. The squadron was then involved in the Berlin Airlift, reforming in its special duties role in 1958. Of course, this meant that it was subsequently heavily involved in the Cold War and various other intelligence operations. As it was only air tests that were required, it was simply a minimum crew that went up that day. And they suggested that as it was a lovely day, the air test checks should be done close to the Murray Firth. So they completed the shutdowns and startups uh, that had been required as part of the testing, And as they went to test the anti-ice, there was an electrical fault with one of the right-hand engines. This fault started the starter motor, which was unfortunately already running, of course. And it was impossible for them to turn the starter motor off. They got an illuminated fire warning, which started a fire, which then spread to the other engine. The crew were unable to put the fire out. And looking around, they decided to head for the nearest airfield, which was RAF Lossiemouth, about 20 nautical miles away. The pilots conducted a VNE descent, so the speed that you should never exceed, um, the fastest you can essentially go in an aircraft safely. This was not only to get the height off, as they'd been conducting the air tests at a reasonably high altitude, but also in the hope that this would blow air through the engines and put the fire out, as they'd used the extinguishers and these hadn't worked. They knew they were in trouble when one of the observers who was looking out from one of the beam windows, so the windows just forward of the wings, said that there'd been flames coming out about 12 feet at 90 degrees to the wing before blowing back, so an incredibly fierce fire. The captain saw the runway ahead at RAF Lossiemouth, but listening to the observer and what was said made the decision to ditch in the water despite being only seven kilometres from the threshold of RAF Lossiemouth. 
this was an incredibly difficult decision because the Nimrod, which was essentially a comet, was not thought to be something that you could ditch and survive. So this decision was made, essentially knowing that the chances of getting out were very, very slim. When the aircraft hit the water, it of course decelerated incredibly quickly. The cockpit section went under the water and the crew were said to have thought, you know what, this is it. The next thing, the cockpit pops back up and the crew are able to exit the aircraft. So they head back into the cabin. All the crew in the cabin were found perfectly alive, having braced as trained. Unfortunately, what they didn't do was put their seats to the floor, which meant that with the impact, they all ended up with broken fingers. They were unable to escape themselves. They needed the pilots to help them undo their five-point harnesses. Perhaps fortunately, considering we're talking about an aircraft accident, the seeking helicopter that was stationed at Lossiemouth was in the harbour only two miles away and it saw the aircraft ditch in the water. Within three minutes, the helicopter was above them and they were being winched out of the life raft. The crew were airlifted to Inverness. Due to the aircraft being an intelligence aircraft, it was recovered from the bottom of the Moray Firth due to the fact it was essentially holding classified information, although the cockpit can now be found in a museum in Doncaster. In the subsequent investigation, it was found that, due to the way the wing spar had been burnt, if they had attempted to go to Lossiemouth and the gear had been dropped, then the chances were that the wing itself would have fully broken off, making it completely unsurvivable. The story of X-Ray Whiskey 666 is fascinating in that, unusually, it doesn't have the same level of a kind of Swiss cheese effect that's caused it. It's not a lot of little things that went wrong. There was a major technical issue. What's interesting about the incident is the way that the crew dealt with it, the way that the decision-making happened. And this, I think, is what we can really reflect upon. You can't train somebody to analyse all the information and make a decision that would go counter to everything that most people would do. And this is perhaps where the idea of automation and excess of automation and not having pilots, for instance, really becomes a challenge when it comes to aviation, especially passenger aviation, when you're responsible for other people's lives. How would you programme something to make that sort of judgement? Value judgments are incredibly difficult. The crew of X-Ray Whiskey 666 did an incredible job in making a decision which ultimately turned out to be the right one with what little information that they had with a very tempting option of just continuing straight ahead of them. And it's one to consider when we look at how this is relevant to other industries and to other parts of our lives is that decision-making isn't always as simple as, well, it's A or B. It's not as simple as there being an obvious right answer. Sometimes in many ways, making the right decision means doing the hardest thing. Means doing the thing that doesn't look right to start with, but actually results in an outcome that is far and away better than anything else could possibly be. And I think that's the thought to leave us with for the rest of the next few days until the next full episode of The Human Factor that sometimes what turns out to be the right decision isn't the easiest one, isn't immediately the most clear decision, isn't immediately the most obvious decision. 
but it's the one that results in the longer term better outcome. And you know what? Sometimes that's going to mean that we make the wrong decisions. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Please do subscribe, rate, whatever you can on whichever app you get your podcasts from. And I will see you in a few days with the next full edition of The Human Factor.